sometimes, I've confessed this to you before, sometimes I like to watch debates between Christians and uh, atheists or secularists or humanists or whatever on YouTube. Um, what you discover is most of the time these debates are not so much about truth as they are about showmanship. The person who usually wins the audience is the one who has the most biting sarcasm, right? And the quickest wit. It's not really about truth, it's about being able to pummel your opponent uh, in a clever way. So it really is mostly about showmanship. Most of these debates are usually held on university campuses and so the, the, uh, the students either ask questions or they comment on um, statements that are made during the debate. And you discover when you listen to these young people how utterly indoctrinated they are. Um, it seems like many, if not most, have bought into philosophical relativism. And you guys know what relativism is, right? It's that what is right or wrong, good or bad, or is not permanent or fixed. There's no absolute truth. Everything's fluid based on feelings, subjective feelings, and circumstance. So everything's just fluid. This is called postmodernism, right? Everything is so fluid, oh, guess what? You might be a woman, but no. I think I'll be a man. This is, how, this is how pervasive this philosophy is, okay, in the modern era. I never thought I would see that kind of fluidity where we're questioning gender. But this is where we are. Um, this is what the American universities, I don't know what they teach where you're from, but sadly this is what's going on in the American universities. You've heard the, the mantra, that may be true for you, but that's not true for me. So absolute truth is being denied in the world. Now what did Jesus say about himself? What? Oh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So really this is a demonic attack ultimately on Jesus Christ, right? Um, that's where it ends up. So the result of this kind of thinking is that Truth is always in the eye of the beholder. It's in the moment. It's situational. It's circumstantial. It's cultural. It's relative. University professors, at least in the States, teach their young people that this is how the world works, that anyone's viewpoint is as good as anybody else's. And then they turn around and grade the student's paper. I don't know if you see the irony there. So if you think about this kind of thing for 120 seconds, you, you realize that Absolute truth is not only self-evident, it is logically necessary. I mean, any thinking person, in my view, any thinking person would come to that conclusion. Philosophically, relativism is contradictory, and practically it ends in anarchy. Relativism is logically indefensible. And of course, the same is true for religious relativism. And I'm going to give you a quote I give you about two or three times a year uh, from a, he's an excellent Christian apologist. I don't agree with him on everything, but he's an excellent Christian apologist, um, Ravi Zacharias. He's, he's written a book called Jesus Among Other Gods. It's um, an apologetic. It's, it's very good. You've heard the thing, you've heard it said, right, that all religions are good and they're just different ways to God. I'm sure you've all heard this, but listen to, listen to what this very smart man, Ravi Zacharias, says to that. Let me just read to you a couple of quotes. Um, he says, modern 
Pluristic cultures are beguiled by the cosmetically courteous idea that sincerity of belief is all that counts. You guys have heard this, right? Well, they're very sincere. Well, <laughs> what good is that? What good is sincerity if you've believed a lie, right? Satan loves it if you're sincere in believing the lie he's told, right? Of course, this is juvenile kind of thinking. Sincerity of belief is all that counts, and truth is subject to the beholder. This is Ravi Zacharias. In no other discipline of life can one be so naive to say that all religions are right and that it does not matter whether the claims are objectively true is a catastrophic error in thinking. Now, again, if you think about it for 60 seconds, you understand. He, he continues, all religions are not the same. All religions do not point to God. All religions do not say that all religions are the same. At the heart of every religion is an uncompromising commitment to a particular way of defining who God is or is not and accordingly defining life's meaning. The last sentence. Anyone who claims that all religions are the same betrays a shocking ignorance of all religion. Every religion at its core is exclusive. And then he says this. Truth cannot be all-inclusive. Truth, by nef definition, ex excludes what? The false, right? By definition, it excludes the false. So Satan loves this. If you're a postmodern relativist, he's got you right where he wants you, right? If you don't believe in absolute truth, he's got you right where he wants you. We're going we're gonna to see in the... In the Paul's letter to the Colossians tonight, he's talking, about, he's talking about persuasive arguments that delude. He's talking about um, empty deception. He's talking about elementary principles of the world that men fall prey to. We lost a new ager on this a couple years ago. Uh, you don't run into many new agers anymore. I don't know. Do you guys run into new agers? You do? Okay. But she couldn't tolerate our intolerance of untruth, right? <laughs> she couldn't handle it, man. And, uh, you know, I just had to keep telling her we loved her. And she came to some Bible studies and she hung around for a while. But, you know, I said, listen, man, the truth is what it is. And she couldn't, she couldn't dig it anymore, so she left. Um, so anything and everything other than biblical truth is speculation. I want you to always understand. I want you to always remember that. I don't care who says it. It might be a philosopher, a professor, a shaman, a guru, an imam, a rabbi, a monk, a priest, a bishop, a pope, a patriarch, and even a Protestant preacher. But if it can't be supported by, by the Bible, it's speculation. It's as valuable as the babblings of a three-year-old. Okay? I'm not saying that there might not be some truth in what some men say, but if it deviates from Scripture, it's speculation. At best, it's speculation. So, the absolute truth is the absolute truth. His name is Jesus. He's not politically correct. He's not cosmetically courteous. He's not a postmodern relativist. He's just God. So tonight, as we get back into Colossians after... Last week being out for one week talking about giving, and I hope you, I hope you tried to be less stupid this week. I got some great comments off the podcast site. Everybody loved the, I, I entitled the sermon Being Less Stupid, and I got some comments from people. Um, and uh, so, you know, sometimes it comes down to the title. I don't, I don't have any downloads you get. <laughs> I, I, I'm serious. It's just true. 
it's just, it's just how it is. And people, they like the title, being less stupid. So I hope you decided that you're going to be less stupid. So tonight, Paul is exhorting the Colossians to stay on absolute truth, giving no heed to man-made philosophies and religion. Paul says, don't be deluded by persuasive arguments. I noticed in studying it this week, he says there are persuasive arguments out there that will delude you, right? I mean, some unbelievers can make incredibly, I'll just use the biblical word, persuasive arguments, but Paul says, don't be deluded by those. You have to stay on the truth. You have to stand on the rock. His name, again, is Jesus Christ. Paul says, let no one take you captive through philosophy and empty deception. So, again, we're in Colossians. We've been here for several weeks. Uh, just by way of review, Paul, again, is holding up the, the biblical uh, the biblical truth about salvation, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not Christ plus works and Christ plus legalism and Christ plus mysticism or Christ plus anything else. I'm going to keep saying it. I've been saying it all along. Christ plus gospels are always wrong. They're always false. They're always demonic. Chapter 2, Colossians, verse 1. Paul writes, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. Now, Paul's never been to Colossae, okay? Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all wealth. I want you to notice verse 2 mentions wealth, verse 3 mentions treasures. I'll come back to it attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with pervasive or persuasive arguments. So Paul lets the Colossians know how much he loves them. He's, Paul has a love affair with the church. He's planted many of the New Testament churches. He says, I've, I struggle. I've struggled mightily for the sake of the church. We know if we're biblically literate, we understand all that Paul went through in planting various churches in Asia and in Europe. Paul says, we have been knit together in love. Again, this, this is a theme that always comes up. If, it doesn't matter where you are in the Bible, it will come up. First um, John 5, 1 says this, whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Again, it's a, a hallmark of true conversion. You will love your brothers and sisters. Now, if you have no love for your Christian brothers and sisters, <laughs> biblically, you got a huge problem. <laughs> you, you, have a, you have a huge problem. Um, it's one of the hallmarks of being truly Converted. It's what 1 John just keeps saying. If you read, we, we just studied 1 John with the young adults some time ago. The word love appears 50 times in four short chapters. 1 John is about true conversion. And he just can't stop talking about love in the body. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all men will know that you are mine. By what? By the fact that you're doctrinally sound, that you attend church, 
that you do religious things? He said, no, by the fact that you love one another. You love one another. This is the litmus test for all true Christians. The Holy Spirit is blunt and absolutely crystal clear in 1 John 3.10. Anyone who does not love his brother, what does he say? Anyone who does not love his brother is not of God, right? He is not of God. 1 John 3.14, the Holy Spirit says that this is how we know we're Christians. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love their brethren. Now Paul put his love on display it's on display. You know the litany of, of his sufferings. I think it's in it's one of the Corinthian letters. I forget exactly where it is. He was beaten. He was stoned. Um, yeah, he went through a whole lot of things. Multiple times beaten. Multiple times given the lash. He loved the church. That doesn't mean that's going to happen to us, but I'm just asking you to examine your love for the church. Your love for the brethren, this is a big deal, beloved. This is a big deal with God. He just never stops talking about this. So our assurance, according to 1 John, 50 times mentioned, God's love will be flowing through you. Okay? It's just a biblical reality. It's not merely having some feeling of love. It's doing the work of love. You know, having a warm feeling, a warm emotional feeling about someone, it's good. But the kind of love God's talking about, it's more than a feeling, right? I, I go to work with it. I roll up my sleeves and I love. It's inconvenient. It's, in, it's expensive. It's, you know, yeah, many times out of the way. But the kind of love the New Testament talks about, it's always a verb. It's always a verb. It's not syrupy. It's not mushy. It's not sentimental. It's blood, sweat, and tears. This is how Christians are called to love. So, as we learn to surrender to the Holy Spirit, we learn to love as God has called us to love. Verse 2, Paul says, I want to be encouraged in loving. I want you to be encouraged in loving each other. Verse 3, Paul continues saying, I want your heart to be encouraged by attaining to the true knowledge in wisdom of Christ. Paul says, let your hearts be greatly encouraged, radically loving one another, radically knowing more of Christ. Okay? This is the hallmark, one of the hallmarks of a born again believer. God says, be encouraged in heart, united in love, locked on to my son. God wants us to be, I tell you this many times, what is, God wants us to be fully assured Christians. What, is, what am I saying? He wants us to know um, that we're real. Why does God want us to know that we're real? If you don't know that you're real, you're never going to do the word. <laughs> you know, you're always going to be shall we say, afraid in the world. You're never going to actually do the word. If you're not fully assured that you're in relationship with the living God, you're, you're just not going to, well, you're not going to be a Hebrews 11 man or woman. You, you just simply won't be if you're not fully assured that you belong to God. Hebrews 11, real men, 
real women with real faith and a real God making a real difference in the real world. That's biblical Christianity. You say, well, Jim, you know, I just have a small little orbit. I only have a few friends or colleagues. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's a small orbit. Well, what does God want to do in your small orbit? He wants to turn the world upside down one person at a time, right? Don't you ever, and I've said this to you before, don't you ever think your life is inconsequential. Are you a Christian? Your life matters more than any other life on the planet. If you're a Christian, if you're a God-called, born-again, believer of God, lover of Christ, yeah, your life matters. It matters in your family, it matters at your work, it matters at the university. You are the light. You are the salt. It's the only reason he's left you here. He hasn't left you here for any lesser reason. That you might speak the truth. Your life really does matter. I always say it to Colossians 1.16. We were created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. You, man, you just, you got to know this, right? You got to own this. You have to incarnate this. I was created by him. And for him. And so we build our lives upon the absolute reality of the God man Jesus. And part of the, the wealth Paul is talking about here, you see that word in verse 2. You also see the word treasures in verse 3. He's talking about a Christian life well lived, right? You will be a wealthy man or woman when you show up at the Bema seat and you've lived a Christian life well. You will be a wealthy man or woman, right? This is what he's talking about. Living the Christian life well. Not playing a game and not, you know, just when I feel it. You know, Christianity is more than a feeling. It's always more than a feeling. Sometimes it is a feeling, but it's always more than a feeling. God wants you to believe when you don't feel it, right? God wants you to believe and obey through it. Even when you don't feel it. Sometimes we are keenly aware of the fact that we are aliens and that God has purchased us out of death. Other times we really struggle. And beloved, that's when you can really make much of God. I love how John MacArthur, American preacher, says it here. He says, <clears throat> he's talking about this wealth and this treasure. He says, it's the full riches of settled understanding. I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. I know what my job is. Okay? We have the truth. We have the truth. And when you have the truth, you can live it huge. It's like I always want to say to you, and I say this to you in love, right? I say it to myself. If you don't live it huge, that's on you. God's given you everything that you need. A life well lived. Now that is true wealth. That is real treasure. Eternal treasure as we talked about last week. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And we're here to make much of him. So this wealth, this treasure, it's, it's, it's a life that matters every day. It impacts eternity every day. It pleases God every day. It lays, lays up treasure in heaven every day. You say, well, Jim, uh, yeah, I had some rough days this week and, and uh, 
I don't feel like I was very effective for the kingdom. Well, did you love God and trust God through it? God loves that, right? Just loving God and trusting God through it. What is it that God delights in? It's always faith. It's always faith. So, this mystery, this God-sized mystery, verse 2, what is it? We've talked about it already. It's just the fact that, that the Old Testament revelation talked about Jesus, but did not give us full disclosure on Jesus. We, di they, we didn't really understand, the Jews didn't really understand what he was going to be like and what his work was going to be. They always expected an, an earthly king who would come and, and get rid of the Romans, the first, centuries, the first century Jews did. So this mystery, it's simply that which was unknown in the Old Testament. That which was unknown, but now has been made clear in the coming and the finished work of Jesus Christ. So this mystery, let me just expand on it for one for, for one moment. This mystery here mentioned in verse two. I, I couldn't help but think of John 17. Now, you know, you know all the stuff Jesus says in John 17. <laughs> OK, it just takes your breath away. He talks about God, joy, God's joy being made full in us. Verse 13, he talks about that we are made one with the father and the son in some mysterious way. Verse 21, he talks about the fact that we are caught up in the glory of God. Verse 22, he talks about the fact that even as the father loves the son, the Godhead loves the redeemed, not in some subordinate way, in the same way. I mean, this is breathtaking stuff, right? The Old Testament saints did not know the intimacy that would be available to God through Christ. You and I do know. And I pray that we are experiencing. Part of the other thing I wanted to say here about this mystery is, is you, you know Romans 8, I bring it up all the time. We are what? Adopted children. We are what? Co-heirs. Now, I mean, this should be enough, really, this should be enough to make you go home and lay on your face for multiple hours. God should have sent you to hell. He should have sent me there. Now I'm a co-heir. I, I, I can never get over how small that seems to be to people who profess to be Christians. Yeah, I know you got a lot of problems. I know you got a lot of problems. Paul had a lot of problems, man. I mean, everybody was out to get him, right? But nobody could get him until God gave him over, right? Until God allowed it to happen. Your God is sovereign. I know you got a lot of problems. Your God's sovereign over the problems, right? Rest in him. Rest in the Lord. You're a co-heir. Live like a co-heir. This is what it comes down to, beloved. You can know all the doctrine. You can say all the right words. But do you incarnate these words? Are you living like you're a co-heir? And when the hard time comes, you stare it in the face and you rest in God. And you cry out to God and you trust God in what God wants to do through the hard thing. Verse 4 Paul says, don't be uh, deluded by persuasive 
arguments of false philosophies and false religion, these man-made philosophies. Yes, you might be transgender. No, you're not. You're not transgender. Nobody's transgender, okay? God made them, you tell me, God made them what? Male and female. There are no transgender, period, if we're Bible believers. Now, if you're not, if you don't subscribe to what God says clearly in his word, he made them male and he made them female. There's not 87 different, how do they say it now? I don't know. There's some kind of spectrum now. I, I don't know. It's, it's, I can't, yeah. These man-made philosophies that take, that take millions to hell, Right? And we know what the Bible says about man, that we suppress the truth, that we are futile in our speculations, we walk in the futility of our mind and our darkened understanding, and we do not understand the things of God. So when I listen to these agnostics and atheists debaters on YouTube, you know, you hear the contradictory futility of all of their argumentation. It's just speculation piled on speculation piled on speculation. You know, they'll get, they'll get one, little, one little thread of data, right? And they'll extrapolate. It's, it's the, you know, it's the whole, it's the whole uh, original cell thing extrapolated into a man, right? It's laughable for somebody who looks around and thinks just a little bit. But millions and if not billions of people believe these kinds of things. Paul is also saying here, be, beware of the futile speculations of, from a Christ-rejecting philosopher, those who talk about Christ plus Gospels. Again, we know that that would come from the Father of lies. I love how Paul says it, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Paul says, my job, this is your job. If you're a Christian, this is your job. This is why you have to know the truth. This is why you have to know the Bible, right? This is why we preach from the Bible. This is why we teach the Bible. Paul says, this is your job. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is your job. This is who you are supposed to be in the world. You're supposed to know the Word so you can stand and give the Word. And you don't have to defend the Word. You can defend it as best you can, but you don't have to be, you know, here's the deal. I think I said this last week. You don't have to be, you know, a great apologist. All your, all your, your job is simply to proclaim the truth. That's your job. And the Holy Spirit does the rest. Yes, you'll be, you'll be called names. You'll be rejected. People will cut the relationship off. Uh, sometimes spouses leave. Children abandon you. All of these things happen. All of these things can happen. It can get very, very difficult. But Christians are called, let's go back to what I said earlier. Christians are called to love and love is what? Truth. You don't affirm that which destroys. This is why Christians cannot affirm homosexuality. It destroys. Transgenderism destroys. We don't hate these people. In fact, we love these people. We tell them what God says. Right? 
We love them enough to tell them the truth. Now, if you see a guy about to go over the cliff, do you affirm him in that? No. Of course, this is the delusion of the false church in these last days. Affirming, affirming people on their way to hell. Same is true for fornicators and adulterers, right? And there's a whole list there. Swindlers and robbers and uh, there's some others. I don't really, Every sin. We don't affirm any sin in the Christian church. Any Christian church that affirms what is called sin in the Bible has ceased to be a Christian church. It's just no longer. Once you leave the Bible, it's all over. It's a slippery slope to the bottom. So again, some of these arguments are persuasive, but God says they are delusional. So let's pick up here at verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5, Paul continues, For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith. Don't you love that? Your good discipline and stability of faith. Does that describe you? Good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, Verse 7, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, look at all these verbs, firmly rooted, built up, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Do you hear what he's saying? This is what Christian life looks like, man. I'm firmly rooted in the truth. These persuasive arguments of these fools will not affect me. They can't sway me. I stand on the rock. You know, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Right? This is biblical. So I don't listen to men. I listen to God. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Paul says, I've heard about you. Again, Paul has not been to Colossae. He says, I've heard about you. Epaphras planted the church. He says, I've heard about your good discipline, right? I've heard about your stability. These are military terms. If you go to the original, these are military terms. Paul's saying, man, I hear that you're holding rank. I hear that you're not going with the world. You're, you're, you're not trying to, you know, play patty cake with the PC crowd. You love the PC crowd. You tell the PC crowd the truth. Yeah, you're going to lose friends. And people are going to call you homophobic or whatever. Transphobic, Islamophobic. Give me some more. There's a lot of them. These are not even real words. These are made up words. You stand there and you say, no, this is the truth of God. That's all you got to say. You don't have to defend your position. You can take them to the Bible and show them where you're getting it. This is what God says. They may reject the Bible, but that's, that's their business. That's between them and God. You know, you, you sow the good seed and we trust the Holy Spirit to do what He does. You, you can't convert anybody. <laughs> you can't. 
I can't convert anybody. If I thought I had to convert people, I'd still be an accountant. Because, you know, I know I'm not that clever. God converts. All we have to do is speak the truth. Verse 6, walk in Him. This is not academic. It's not theoretical. It's not a Sunday afternoon thing. It's a lifestyle. Walk in Him. 1 John 2, 6, the one who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk in the same manner in which he walked. While we know we cannot walk in sinless perfection, we can walk in the manner in which Jesus walked. We can walk in love, humility, truth, service, in the Spirit, and in obedience. Jesus said, this is my food to do the will of the Father. That's really quite a good way to live. Paul says, walk in the wealth of your full assurance and understanding in Christ. He's saying this is a lifestyle, man. It's a lifestyle being firmly rooted, built up and established really to be used mightily of God. We touched on this a few weeks ago. Christianity is very, very simple. We study the word of God and then we proclaim the word of God. So I'll just stop and ask, how much time are you spending in the Word? Listen, man, this is how God changes you. I'll make a confession. This is how He changes me. After, is it 35 years? This is how He's still changing me. I look into the Word and it's like I see something. You know, I've, I've preached this passage 10 times and I, I still see something new there. God is still challenging me. And growing me. If you don't have that experience with the Word, you're really not spending enough time there. Right? So we, we give ourselves to knowing what God said, and then we tell people what God said. Notice Paul extends verse, ends verse 7 here. He says this kind of life, and he brings in all six previous verses. We're strong in heart, united in love, settled in understanding, stable in faith, firmly rooted, built up in Christ, and walking in Him. And this leads to an overflow of gratitude and thanksgiving. You know, this is another hallmark of, of a biblical Christian. I think Shubomi said it. Thankfulness. If you're not thankful, you don't, you, you're clueless about biblical Christianity. And you know what? If you read your Bible, you realize you have to thank God for the hard thing too. Count it all joy when various trials come your way. As Peter says, for they are necessary. For the growing of your faith. You know, all the unbeliever can do is look at the pain. The believer looks through the pain. Amen? We look right through it. We look right through the trial. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying we don't cry. I'm not saying we don't weep. I'm not saying we don't mourn. I'm not saying any of that. But we can look through it. We know that He's on the other side of it. And we know He'll walk us through it. And that He has some purpose in it. It's not just meaningless pain that the unbeliever experiences. So, we really get the whole Christ in me, hope of glory thing. 
not just for this life, but for the next billion eternities. Verse 8, Paul says, Remember who you are and see to it that you stay on Christ. Do not be enticed by man-made philosophies, man-made religions, and the traditions of men. Some venerate tradition simply because it's tradition. Uh, as if somehow it's on par with the Word of God. Of course, we're in a country that, that uh, uh, is in love with the Catholic Church, more or less, over the centuries. And it's like, you know, tradition, man. You talk to some Catholics, it's tradition, man. Well, does it have anything to do with God? Does it have anything to do with the Bible? Let me ask you that question. I like what, again, American preacher John MacArthur says. He says, there's nothing necessarily sacred about tradition. Often it is nothing more than the perpetuated accumulation of human ignorance. Amen? If any of you have been involved with pseudo-Christianity, you know exactly what that means. Now, I was involved not with a Catholic church, but with a, a pseudo-Protestant church as a, man, as a young man. So... They preached about half the gospel. You could get the gospel there, but it was about half, it was about half right. So, some of you can relate to what I'm saying. I love how the New Living Translation paraphrases uh, this text here. He says, you're going to love this. Don't be led astray by high-sounding nonsense. When I listen to these people on YouTube, it's high-sounding nonsense. And you know, if you're a Christian, you know when you're hearing high-sounding nonsense. You know it. Everything in you is saying, this cannot be true. This argues against the Word of God. This is, uh, you know... Opposed to the Word of God, this cannot be true. It's high-sounding nonsense. Man, that's, what's, that's what floods the airwaves. High-sounding nonsense. It's what you're learning at university many times. It's high-sounding nonsense. And the, the further you get away from university, the, <laughs> the more you'll understand that. I'm not saying it's bad to get educated, but don't be deceived uh, and deluded by persuasive arguments if they don't line up with the truth of the Word of God. Listen, you have the truth, and you're responsible for it. You know, there are a lot of people who never had what you have. A lot of people in the world, never, they never got this in their language. They never got to have this sitting on their bookshelf or sitting in their lap. Or they never, they never had a chance to put their face in it and weep over it and lay on it and pray, through, pray to God from it. They never got the chance to do it. You have that chance. You're accountable. Right? I'm accountable. You know, what does Paul say? Uh, is it Paul? I think it is. Don't let many of you be teachers. <laughs> you know, that's a scary verse, right? I'm accountable. I'm accountable. God says, this man-made philosophy and religion is according to the elementary principles of the world. It's high-sounding nonsense. I know some of you have seen this or experienced it. You, you, those, of you, those who like to talk man-made nonsense are intolerant of God-made wisdom. And so you will, you, obviously, there'll be friction out there when you speak God's truth. And when you speak the name of Jesus Christ, there will be friction. There's always friction. 
almost always friction. Especially if you're holding up the biblical Jesus. Now, if you're holding up the pseudo-Jesus, there are about a thousand of those. But if you're holding up one of the pseudo-Jesuses, you know, you're not going to get a lot of heat there. But if you're holding up the biblical one, you can expect the heat will come. Many in the world will scoff at the assertion that the God of the Bible is indeed God, that Jesus Christ indeed came in the flesh, that Jesus Christ indeed came out of the tomb. Many people will consider you a simpleton because you believe it. But I love what C.S. Lewis says. You got to love C.S. Lewis. Listen to what he says about people who would make fun of you because you hold to the Bible. Listen to what he says. He says, the answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. Don't you love that? If they can't understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. But you should talk about them. You're a co-heir. You know the Father. You know the Son. You're indwelt by the Spirit. Be bold in the world, right? What are you waiting for? Be bold in the world. Be bold. You never get, you never get yesterday back. I'm going to end this way. Why don't you turn with me if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, one of my favorite passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says, trying to maybe bring this home about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to what God says. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing. What is it? Tell me, what is it? If you're witnessing to someone and they're calling this foolish, well, here you, you know who it is. The, for the word of the cross to those, you know they're perishing. They're perishing. They're dead in their sins. So what do you do? You keep sharing the truth and you keep loving them, right? Sharing the truth and loving them. This is what, this is what mature Christians do. Share the truth in love. They're perishing. They're, it's foolishness to them, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, right? It's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. All of this, you know, philosophical relativism will be pushed aside. It's, it's nonsense. It's high sounding nonsense. Verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Are you still listening to the world? You still believe the world? Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Right? The world calls me a fool. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I'm a fool to most of the world. But God does miracles through his preached word. Amen? I don't care what they call me. <laughs> I really don't care. I, I couldn't care any less than 
I do. Verse 22. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Verse 24. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Got to love verse 24. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So are you going to believe the world or are you going to believe God? And if you're going to believe God, are you going to speak in the world the truth of God? You, you, you never get yesterday back. Speak it. You know, there are people in your life, there are people in your life that need the truth. They need the truth. Yeah, you're going to lose some of those relationships. But God's going to save some of them. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this great text. Father, we have the truth. If we didn't have the truth, how much would we pay for the truth? I guess everything. But you've given us the truth. It, it more or less has fallen in our laps. Through the culture or through our parents or through a friend, it's just fallen in our laps. We have the word of God. We have the truth of God. We understand the, the beginning and the end. We, we get it. Father, forgive us that we are not more sharing and vocal with it. Your apostle tells us this is true wealth. This is true wealth. This is treasure knowing the mystery of Christ and being caught up in who He is and what He's done. Lord, we thank You. What a glorious truth. Father, we all need help. We're all weak and frail. We all at times experience fear and apprehension. But Lord, we ask You to help us to be Your people in the world, to be Your witnesses. We pray all this in the matchless and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.